welcome back to the Formula E Zone podcast. So, so, so much to talk about today. We've got two races and driver transfers. Silly season has started already. This is going to be a long one. So strap yourselves in and hopefully you enjoy the Formula E Zone podcast. But as always, I'm not going to be alone for this podcast. And we're going to start off by saying a good evening to Jack. Who is this person? Yes, I'm sorry. (laughs) What person? You know, I know there was a third person that we did this podcast with, but it sort of of disappeared. Yeah, well, hopefully I'm welcome Ah, you know, that that, that guy with D in his name, I think? Darren? There was a Chris once. Yeah, he showed up. True. Was it him? <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Would you like to introduce a, yourself? A B C D E. What me? You want me to reintroduce myself? <laughs> we haven't heard your intro yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, hi everyone. I am Dan. Um, I'm new again. I'm, I'm the newbie <laughs> on the on the block now. Um, I quite like Formula E. It's it's all right. Um, I know a few bits and bobs about it. So hopefully enough to uh, keep up with these two, these sweaty nerds. Um, so <laughs> thank you for that, Jack. Um, Toby, it's good to hear your voice again, mate. Welcome back. Oh, it's good to hear yours as well. Good thanks, to have man. you back. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> right, we've got lots to talk about today, so I think we should just crack on with it because we've got two races, a championship, and driver transfers. It's plenty to get through. We're not going to try and stick around for three hours or bore you to death. Hopefully, it'll be nice and chilled, nice and relaxed, some good laughs, and some sweaty chat about Formula E. So, hopefully. This is going to be a good one. So we'll start off then. We're just going to jump straight into it today, boys. Hopefully that's all right with you two. We're going to start off with the first race in New York. Qualifying, we'll just skip through that pretty pretty straightforward, to be honest with you. Buemi on pole. Nissan proving once again over one lap. A very, very quick car. Pascal Verline P2. He's had a season where he's gone well in Saturday, but things haven't gone his way. And so far... I don't think Formula E's quite gone to plan for him. Alex Lynn getting into Super Pole, P3 on the grid. Daniel Apt into Super Pole as well. Alexander Sims also getting into Super Pole. He really turned around his season this weekend. And Sam Bird also finally getting back to a little bit of form. So that was the grid going into the race. Again, sorry if I'm going quick, but we've got lots to get through. But the race itself, (laughs) straight away, before the lights even went out, half the grid jack complete disadvantage yeah, to the rest of the so field it was really dusty it was one of the major complaints and i suppose the complaints that drivers have had all season with the tracks especially going into qualifying group one is oh it's just a dirty track but new york for some reason i know it's on the harbor side of brooklyn and it was the left hand side off the racing line was incredibly dusty and you could see visibly when even during the practice starts in practice that that left hand side that dirty side of the track they were just not getting off the line. They were really struggling for grip. And those who were starting on the right-hand side, where pole position was, were already halfway down the straight. And they are pretty much getting up, getting ready to go. So those people uh, starting on the, it would be the even number side, um, were a proper at a real disadvantage. And which happened to Pascal Verlaine off the start, because he got jumped at the start. So it really did show. 
no one has much to add to that, I think. <laughs> silence. <laughs> just so silence. But for a good reason. I mean, there's really not... I'm, I'm eating my pizza currently, yeah. Oh, lovely pizza. Uh, I ordered for, for for after the podcast, actually, but it arrived now, which is fair enough. I always enjoy pizza. Um, but I also enjoy clean sides of the grid. And uh, that was really... I mean, fair play. Not much race control could have done against it because the even qualifier—I mean, people qualifying in the even grid spots—they had to start on the side of the grid where no car ever went across uh, all day. So we had f- two practice sessions. Nobody crossed that that part of of the street. Qualifying, of course, you want to stay on the idea racing line. And as you are exiting a left-hand corner out of the final final corner of the circuit, and turn one also is a left-hander, you obviously stay to the right. And yeah, that's that's the reason we saw, uh, amongst other things happening in in the first lap, Alex Lynn taking P2 off of uh, who was it? Pascal Verline. Yeah. Just just a quick one. Um, do either of you two think? They should have done what they did in Paris and start under safety car. I don't, but I'm, I'm just curious. Because I was thinking it right now as we were speaking it, but I don't think they should have because it was really anticlimactic the start in Paris and it's you now starting behind the safety car. But there was no yeah. real reason to start behind the safety car in New York. You can't just say, "Oh, the track's dirty." Well, the track's dirty. Like it's just the way it is. You know, in Paris they were like, "Oh, you know, it's wet on that side, it's dry on that side." So I can get their point in Paris, like. You know, there is a clear disadvantage with one side of the track being wet and one side of the track being dry. Whereas both sides of the track were technically dry in New York, so I, I don't think there was a real need for a safety car start. And cynically, you could argue that if you wanted to start on the clean side of the grid, you yeah, should have qualified harsh, better. Yeah, isn't it? Imagine you qualify third, like... <laughs> It's a pretty good qualifying session. I mean, not third, second. So second, like, but and then third jumps you on the line from that. So uh, I get your premise, but it, but you know we've seen it before where sometimes it's on the other side, like pole positions on the day side of the track, and people like compare. I think it happened in Suzuka once in Formula One, and they were campaigning to change it because it was on the wrong side. So it it has happened before. Well, and it Senna lost so the championship because of it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, and I yeah. was going to say it caught out so many drivers on that first lap, didn't it? Especially Verline, he just tumbled right through the order, and whether that's because he was pushed offline throughout the entire first sector, pretty much. But our first real bit of drama, I believe this came first in the race, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because those two races in one weekend, it seemed like a lot. I loved it, but it seemed like a lot, and it was a hell of a lot to keep up with. But I feel our first incident was Sam Bird contact with Jose Maria Lopez. Oh. Am I right by saying that? Yeah. Um, what do we think about that one? Um, no red flags this weekend, which was a bit of a surprise for Formula E. But we did have these pile-ups down just after where the attack mode was. I think that was turn four, maybe turn five. Plenty of contact there, which again was brilliant considering we had a championship fight on the line. But Toby, it was getting really tight there, and especially Bird and the two Dragon cars, it got real feisty. Absolutely, yeah, and on both days. So not only on on the, on the Saturday. I'm spoiling, of course, the Sunday discussion. Wow. Now, but we had contacts on both days into turn six. 
And even in qualifying, we saw drivers spinning there because turn six is a corner where you can win a lot of time uh, by going aggressive and braking late. It's a typical, yeah, kind of, it's not even a hairpin, but it's a 90 degree left-hander leading into a hairpin. So you really have to have to slow down for it and you can win a lot of time by braking late. And we saw people making mistakes left, right and center. And... Then you add in 21 other cars going into that particular corner in on lap one, and you obviously have carnage. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, the two dragons got together. Uh, Sam Bird was involved in the contact as well. Um, who else was, was in there? Da Costa, I think. The other uh, version of France. And, uh, crucially, both DS to Cheetah cars also involved in that contact. Um, Andre Latra was spun and uh, Van had had a puncture after after uh, that contact as well. So a lot of drama on lap one in turn yeah, six already. That was crazy. It was really, like... <sighs> Unfortunately, Sam hit the back of um, Jose Maria Lopez, and he did get a penalty for it. I think it was five... Was it five seconds or was it ten? I can't remember now off the top of my head. I've written it down somewhere. I think it was ten. I thought yeah, ten, but I um, could be wrong. Um, yeah. You know, look at your notes, Jack. That might help. Which he got a penalty for, and we'll get on to Ten. a bit more of a discussion of that later in the race. But it kind of was his fault. He did sort of just spin him round. But having, you know, that's the problem with, you know, qualifying in the middle of the grid, and that's probably why qualifying, I've had my complaints about qualifying, but where qualifying works is that, you know, it can catch you out, and it caught Vern out. No, he didn't do anything wrong in that situation. He just got hit from behind, which then hit... He then hit the car in front. Like, he did nothing wrong. He was trying his best to avoid the actual contact. And he ended up with a puncher and, you know, having to pit to replace. In Formula E, you don't pit. Like, his race was effectively ruined at that point. And it was down then to the others to actually try and make places. Because of the Group 1 and because of the dustiness of the track, the only good thing, barring Bawemi and sort of Evans, who were at the front, but they were the real distant title fighters. Whereas, but So you sort of left Degrassi, who was only a few positions up, to now really try and make hay during the race, to try and capitalise on Vern. Um, but that was really and truly Vern's like, saving grace, was that Degrassi then had to start moving. Like, you know, he could, you know, Bawemi and Evans, no matter what they did, you know, it was still very difficult for them to even take the championship into Sunday. So I suppose for Vern that was a saving grace. Um, and depending on how far the grassy actually went up the field. Yeah, and then that was what mainly we focused on, wasn't it? Both Evans and Degrassi working their way through and it was it was great to see and the slight changes they made to this circuit this year made so much of a difference. I was chuffed to see that actually pay off. But we didn't mention this beforehand in our well, pre-podcast chat, but what just quickly, this was the point where Vern asked Lotterer to yes. cause a safety car, right? And this was Ooh. interesting. Yeah, now what do we think of that? Uh, actually, I spoke, Tobias, right, you're you're more analytical, you're German, okay? So, uh, you go first, <laughs> and then I'll, <laughs> <over>. <sighs> I'll, I'll try and, and keep it simple, right? So... Van, both Van and Lotterer were far behind the others uh, racing at that point, around 50 seconds behind the field. And they were in no man's land. No chance whatsoever of 
actually getting a decent result out of the, out of, uh, the Saturday race. So uh, then uh, tried to do a thing that he said any other racing driver would do. He saw that his teammate had a lot of damage. He had a broken front wing and nose cone and punctures and whatever. Lotterer had a lot going going on on his car. And Van saw that, and um, not even allegedly, uh, he asked his team, Point Blank asked his team to, quote, tell Andre to stop to bring out the safety car. And he asked that over the team radio, which, as a matter of fact, is public, and anyone can listen to it. We didn't hear it on, on the world feed, on, on the TV, but if you tune into the official Formula E app, they have an option of making all team radios available in, in lifetime. So you may hear some swearing on there, um, but you can listen to what all the drivers are saying in real time. And that only emerged halfway through the Sunday, Sunday race. Um, funnily enough, we didn't hear anything about it on, on Saturday because no one said a word about them hearing what Jeff said earlier. Um, but apparently Van asked his team, point blank, to tell Andre to stop to bring out the safety car. And that caused a lot of controversy after the Sunday race. Of course, I have to say again, dating back to the Saturday, but we talked a lot about it uh, in the night between Sunday and Monday. Um, Van argued that, uh, and I'm quoting the official FI Stewart's decision here, that, quote, he knew that car 36, which is Lotro's car, had sustained damage in an incident in turn 6 on lap 2, and he had a broken front wing and had lost time as a result, uh, such that it was no longer in con... It, yeah, well, sorry, I was thinking Lotro, but it, the car, was no longer in contention for points to finish in round 12. He held concerns for his safety and that of other drivers due to the debris on track, and made the request to his engineer that car 36 be requested to stop for that reason only. Interesting. Do we believe him? Or do we believe the quotes he gave to our dear colleagues at Autosport after the race? Uh, in which he said on the record that any racing driver would have done this and asked for, for his team, for their team to stop, stop the teammate on track and no, call I the safety car. Jack, what, what's I, your I was point gonna on jump it? in at the beginning and say that oh, you don't really want to bring up 2008 Singapore Grand Prix, but I feel like you have to because it was on the same level. If hmm. Chuck Cheetah actually stopped Andre Lotterer's car so Vern could get back in the race, there is no actual difference between what Vern just did technically to what, to what um, Flavio Briatore asked PK to do. You know. It was manip. It, it had the potential to manipulate the race. I, you know, maybe we're not talking about it as much because Czech Cheetah didn't actually do it, and whereas Renault did do it. Hmm. So maybe they might say it's hypotheticals, but he asked. He, whether you like it or not, whether you're a fan of Jev or not, and I think Jev is an amazing race driver, and you know, to do what he's done in Formula E has been like superb. But I was shocked because that's you're really running the risk of being disqualified. Being disqualified, you could have been this, anything could have happened. 
if you want to cheat and manipulate a race, like, the, this, apparently the sanctions can be quite serious on that. That's also a very, very important point. His engineer didn't reply to the requests Jeff made. So I'm... I'm not the judge in this case. Luckily, I'm not the judge. Um, but I think the outcome would have been different if his team actually replied to him and maybe even tried to stop Lotterer on track. The thing I thought about when I heard this story is it's a very difficult f call for his team of engineers because you have to keep in mind that Van has something to say in the team. He owns a stake in Diaz to Cheetah, or not Diaz to Cheetah, but Tichita. He is uh, not the owner of the team, but he he owns a, a stake in in, in the Tichita squad. Um, so he's it's not like Jeff has nothing to say in the administrative on the administrative side of of the team, and that's the thing that worried me. Luckily, you have to say uh, his team didn't reply. Um, I think yeah. I was like, I credit Chitita for not replying, because if they did reply, then you're opening a can of worms. And maybe, no, I suppose that you have to give them credit, because they know what Jeb just asked. Like, even though those comments about safety, it's all, like, yeah, I get your point, but that's just saying that to cover yourself in a sense. We all know really why Jeb, you asked him, because you want that safety car, so you could pit and not lose any time. Because, you know, we did have a safety car in the race later, but Jeff wasn't to know that at the time. Because let's imagine there was no safety car in that race. It doesn't matter where Jeff was, he wasn't going to be in the position that he was later in the race. He would never have caught up. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jack. Um, what you just said a minute ago, I mean, he was potentially risking that championship, which even if he didn't get points on the Saturday, he, he still was in the driving seat to win it. I mean, look what happened to Schumacher. Can't remember what season, but when he got disqualified for arguably cheating. You know, so that's a very fine line he was running, considering he'd almost wrapped it up anyway. And yeah, this is Formula E we're talking about here, and you never know what's going to happen. And as you just mentioned there, Jack, there was a safety car a little bit later on, but I think I was surprised. And I think, if I got this correct, I think you both are as well, because this just seems so unlike Vern, considering it was, yeah, a difficult day for him, but yeah... It, it, his championship to lose and we've said that for quite some time now but we, we will move on a little bit and this safety car that did eventually come out was for Alex Lynn I mean what a turnaround oh. yeah, well, I know, <laughs> I, know. Um, I mean <sighs> what a turnaround he's had from this race last year obviously being kicked out of Virgin after having an awful weekend to be on an awful season last year to be totally honest but he's come into Jaguar after PK leaving Got it into Superpod this weekend and could have very easily got a podium. And I don't want to talk about him too long, but this was absolutely gutting, oh, was, wasn't it, Jack? You just you can't catch a break, Paul Lynn. He's had an, he's been amazing and he deserves that Jaguar seat. And I really hope he gets it. Or if he doesn't get it, then it's on his terms. Like he's you know decided that he didn't want it. We wants to focus with Aston Martin. Like he's made yeah. that decision to say, you know what, I've enjoyed it, but I want to do this. And that's what I'm focusing on. That's why I didn't take it. Rather than Jaggy were picking someone else. Because, yeah, maybe on paper, when you look back in the history books, the results aren't there. But that's not what the races are telling you. Like, you know, he had a chance of... He could have he won that. He could have won. 
He had the pace to win that race on Saturday. He really did. But Absolutely, yeah. It's just a, a car failure that sets him back. So it's just unfortunate, and it's happened a few times to Lynn, um, this well since he's been in Formula 3 with Jaguar. So, you know, it's up to them now. I think he's done all he can do in order to to try and get a seat for next season. I think it's up to either Lynn if he wants to do it, or it's up to Jaguar now if they want to keep him. Super frustrating. In any way, whether they keep him on for season six or not, super frustrating because he had such a good race, and I've I've talked about him a couple of episodes ago and said that he was improving from from one race to the uh, to the other. He was very very quick in getting to grips with the Jaguar. Um, obviously, didn't do a single lap before shakedown in Rome, and he was so quick to learn the car and so quick to not only to learn the car but to be on pace and to contest for race victories like he did in New York and he's been one of of the most impressive drivers um, of this season I have to say uh, I mean he only did half a season but he was extremely impressive and I would have been so happy for him I mean objectively happy for him uh, um, because he, he deserved that podium um, not much we can change now in hindsight, of course. Um, we, we couldn't have changed anything while it happened anyway. Um, but it was an MGU failure. He said it on the team radio as well. It had something to do with the coolant temperature. Um, not exactly sure what happened. Um, maybe it leaked and it... I'm, I'm not really sure. It was a sensor saying the coolant temperature is too high. And Jaguar had to replace his MGU for the next race, for the Sunday race, which resulted in another 20-place grid drop. So he had, on paper, he had a disastrous weekend, um, but it really was a great one for him. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gutted for him. Uh, he would have deserved that podium so much. Yeah, I mean, the only saving grace for the team was through that safety car, it gave Evans a chance. And Degrassi oh, yeah. as well, but it also brought Vern back into the fold. And I suppose that's the final big talking point from this race, e except the winner. We'll talk about that quickly um, after this, but big smash. Absolute big smash. I always love a big smash in a Formula E race, but this one was pretty meaty, to be honest with you. Felipe Massa, well, a bit of an awful weekend, to be honest, from Felipe Massa. I, I don't know where his head was at. Vern arguably a little bit brave trying to fight Massa in that on the well it was the very last lap wasn't it um a bit brave considering any points can secure you the championship but I'll start with you Toby this crash really could have changed things and Massa was was lucky to get away with that penalty free absolutely yeah hmm <laughs> good, good good question actually I have the impression that uh, me being able to, to read articles in two languages is a big advantage here because German media mostly blamed Vern for the incident. Oh, okay. And English media mostly blamed Massa for the incident. Very interesting. Um, I'm okay with the race direction calling it a racing incident um, because, as you say, Vern was very bold into... maybe frustrated as well, but a very... <sighs> a very late lunge it was from him, and um, 
he had to try something. I mean, no, he didn't have to try something, but he tried something. Um, tried pulling out something out of the hat. Um, yeah, wouldn't necessarily say that the move was necessary in that kind of situation. He was running in, I think, P12 it was, and Massa was 11th, so... <sighs> wouldn't even have earned points for that. Um, yeah, very weird. Um, as I say, I'm I'm okay with the race direction calling it a racing incident, um, but generally speaking, Massa didn't have the best of weekends, didn't he? Um, very, maybe he was frustrated as well. Uh, we saw some more moves by Massa on Sunday. He blocked Gary Pafford on on his qualifying lap or any practice lap, I think, on Saturday as well. So he. Uh, he had a weekend to forget uh, in general, and that only, yeah, was was the icing on the cake. That incident was there. Yeah, I I can see maybe how the German media, as you say, maybe looked at Vern as sort of the the person who was at fault because you could argue that Vern then sort of got the move sort of done. Massa was on the inside, and Vern sort of like chopped him off as he went in, so Massa didn't have much room to go. At the time, and I've seen it again, I still, I still think well, Massa could have backed out of it. Like Vern was technically ahead, um, and Massa technically just drove into a wedge. No, and I felt like he knew he was drove, driving into a wedge, and it just sent him spinning. But that's Formula E, isn't it? That's why we love it. But this is the problem I have. At the same time, I love it, and I think we loved it. And it's that drama, that excitement, that like oh my gosh, gasp moment. I was texting my friend. And I was like, I just did 10 wows because I was trying to persuade him to make sure he was watching the Formula Re-Race. And I was like, you watching it? Just like turn it on for like last like 10 minutes. Because it was crazy. Like it was, it was a great race. And then after that incident, I just text 10 wows. Because I was, I was, I was, I was just shocked. I, it's just, I don't know how many times I get to an end of a Formula Re-Race and I have to write a report. And I don't know how to write a report anymore because I'm just flabbergasted from what I've just seen. And I'm like, how on earth am I supposed to put that into words? And your brain has to think for a moment. And then probably 10 wows was like, you know, brain processing. <laughs> that probably yeah, that should have been your race report. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, 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 I think it probably had the same merit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was probably a needless move from Vern. Probably, you know, nothing to prove. But it made it exciting, but at the same time, as I said, to get to my point where I have a problem is, is that all these crashes, all these smashes, yes, they're amazing, yes, they're on street circuits, and that's how you can argue it. Well, there'd be a lot more crashes in Formula 1 or in any other sports series if everyone was racing on a street circuit, which Formula E does. But then you get those, you know, the critics, and you get those Twitter comments where it's just amateur hour. And, you know, when you reflect and you look at that, that, um those pile-ups and you just and you see how some of them are caused and you you know your heart sinks a little bit like when I watch it back you just go it's not at, at the time it's adrenaline and when you're watching it it's amazing but I feel like when you watch it the second or third time back to like sort of analyze the race I think at that point you're like oh I don't know if it you know it doesn't it's not high quality driving yeah especially with what D'Ambrosio did oh that was that, that was incident. amazing well, <laughs> best that overtake of the season, but <laughs> like boom, over. But so yeah, you're, like, you're right. 
<laughs> and the camera picked it up at the perfect yeah. time, just suddenly just going it's over like, the top. I'm um, not going to be stuck. I'm not going to sit here and think, you know what? There's a point on offer here. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, and he got it, didn't he? He was in the point, so... Yeah, that was, that was a good effort. I'm sure he was pushed um, over. I don't think I he suppose was... we'll leave... I don't think he drove over. Like, yeah, I don't know. No, we yeah. haven't seen I, it. But I like, it was I'm Gary sure he must have been pushed over. He could not have just... You know what? I'm just yeah. going to drive through you. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> he must have been pushed. Well, he's had a frustrating <laughs> season, so I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> um, shall we finish yes. off race one then uh, we've been going for quite some time I mean race one in my opinion was more eventful than race two and there were some awesome moments but Sebastian Buemi winning a race it still seems crazy finally yeah I mean season season three wasn't it the last time that's so bizarre um, I mean I don't know which one of you wants to start about this but I thought he thoroughly deserved this this season and Nissan. I, I've been saying all the way through. I think they've got so so unlucky several times. Sanya they could have won. Paris they could have won. Chile they could have won. And they've just got unlucky. And sometimes that just you know being the rookies on the field. Well, if if you want to call them rookies, but it was just so nice to see them finally on that top step again. Twenty five races. Wow. Seven hundred sixty two days uh, since the last Good picture. Stats. Yep, yep. Berlin 2017, that was his last race. And he had, of course, an amazing year that uh, that season three. Almost almost became champion. Um, season four should have been champion had a couple of podiums, but couldn't really... In New York. Yep, yep. Oh, that was epic. Oh, I miss season three. Uh, anyway, uh, um, he had a decent season four, but couldn't really win. And this year he had the car to win a race, and especially in these last couple of European races, uh, he was decent. And Nissan was on pace all year long. Of course, them having the advantage of their twin MGU setup and layout, um, them starting with two MGUs, two motors, uh, gave them a big advantage going out of low rev corners, uh, to put it simply. And they were amazing this year around in New York as well. Uh, simply because the second sector had a lot of slow corners and places where you have just an ad a massive advantage if you are good ex at accelerating out of out of corners. Um, yeah, and uh, that was the big advantage for Nissan this year. And they had the car to win, and as Dan rightly says, they were so close to victory on so many occasions. And um, he was on the podium in Berlin, and on the podium in Bern, and now he was on the podium... Uh, on both days in New York, and finally on the Saturday, uh, uh, yeah, the, the his streak was over, uh, but his streak of being unsuccessful and uh, reasonably unsuccessful for his standards uh, in FE finally was over. Um, yeah, yeah. just as much as Alex Lynn would have deserved the podium, he deserved the win. Um, it, it was Bohemi yeah, of old. Kudos. I think that's what we saw. It was just Bohemi of old. It was Bohemi that looked in control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Didn't look like he was going to make a mistake. Didn't look like he was going to get flustered. Because obviously we've seen Bohemi sometimes get flustered and make mistakes. Like there's many, sadly, there are quite a few examples that I'm going to give, but I'm not going to give them now. Not because I can't think of any of them. I'll give them now because I've said it. Buenos Aires, obviously uh, it was Santiago this year. But <laughs> then it feels like, like I don't know what I'm talking about. I do. Um, but anyway, so 
he's had that, but it really looked like the Buemi that commanded season two, that did really well in season three. Uh, and probably should have won the championship if it wasn't for that clash with Toyota and WC with Nürburgring in New York um, and missing a double it was a double header wasn't it so you know that's a lot of points to miss out on going into the final a couple races of Montreal so it was good to see it was really good to see the way me back and I'm really hopeful that Nissan have a car that can challenge next season for him and it would be great. And you know, it's true. You know, when, you know, different Gen 2 cars, but it's the same drivers. As, as Jack said and Dario said on commentary, you've got Lucas Degrassi, Sebastian Buemi, Jean-Eric Verne, Antonio Felix da Costa, all been in five seasons, and they're challenging for the title. Like, d despite all the new amazing drivers, Pascal Verlein, Stoffel Van Dorn, coming in and, and doing great stuff it's still those same drivers that are coming to the top yeah and it was great to see as well going into Sunday that Buemi after that win was in title contention which I don't think anyone was expecting halfway <laughs> through the season um, and this last race we'll, we'll move on to that now because you know, we want to talk about transfers as well at the end but this last race qualifying really set us up for a brilliant finish. We had Vern, Degrassi, Evans, Freintz, no, I think, got into Super Bowl, didn't he? But Vern, Degrassi, Evans, the three main ones, outside the top ten, we were on for a good race. But Alexander Sims, pole position, where did that come from? I mean, the qualifying <sighs> system that we've talked about all season long helped him out a little bit, but still, that, that was a brilliant job also van dorn getting into super pole as well awesome stuff from the two of them toby do you know if you ever get to talk to alexander sims please do it he is one of the most sympathetic guys on the grid and he's been a fan of formula e forever and he's just an ev geek uh you i think you'd call him uh a nerd not even a geek he's a nerd and he enjoys talking about electric mobility a lot. He enjoys talking about Formula E a lot. And he's been a major part of the Andretti development days. And he's always aimed to be in Formula E. And I was very happy to hear that BMW have signed him. And now finally him having the chance to actually show his performance. He had to play second fiddle for a long, long time. Always had to... Had to, yeah, stay behind Antonio Felix da Costa. Sims could have been on the podium in on on Saturday, uh, but BMW, yeah, did their Monaco team order and tried to help Antonio Felix da Costa to score P5 in the overall championship, uh, which in my eyes makes no sense whatsoever. But anyway, uh, Sims would have deserved that podium on Saturday as well. Um, but he was strong on Sunday and uh, got his first pole position. Um, very good to see uh, for the reasons I just I just listed. He's just a massive Formula E nerd and enjoyed this season so, so much. Although he always had to play second fiddle and clearly was the second driver at BMW. Uh, him grabbing pole position, um, very good to see. And I'm sure... A Good application uh, for a job interview for season six with BMW. Yeah, it was good to see. 
um, you've touched on basically all the points, but the only thing I wanted to add is it felt like at the start of the season there was that potential, obviously, leaving that Marrakesh race. And it, Sims always had that potential to do well, and I think you're right. After that Marrakesh, he sort of became second fiddle to to Antonio Fidel da Costa, so it was really great to him to finally just get that opportunity. And he's, he's had a bit of bad luck as well. Some of it may be his own making with poor qualifying performances um, or qualifying not where... You know he would have liked because he's he's not been he's been in that sort of group three area where he could have had that chance to probably prove what he could do in New York earlier, but it was as Tobias said it was it was amazing just as you know I think it was like a weight off his shoulders like it was a finally I can do this I am quite quick like I have shown it I haven't shown it in a while here I am. Yeah. This season this season would have been a season of would have, could have, should have for, for him uh, if he hadn't scored that pole position. Yeah, I agree. So very good to see. Sorry, Dan, I, I cut you off there. No, sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> no issue. I wasn't really going to say much more on it because, yeah, it was great <laughs> to see. And I hope he gets that chance next season. But, Jack, um, I remember a little chat we had in, in Rome, all the way back in Rome. And... I know. Well, I think no, you'll I like don't, this. No, I um, can't remember what I because, said, and now I know well, it's bad, I know, and I I'm going to get done for it. <laughs> well, and it's my... well, it was a bit of a moan. <laughs> it was a moan, but it was about attack mode, oh. and that it was two uses, but we finally got a bit of a change. So I want to hear your thoughts on that, because I know in Rome, that was really getting on your nerves. Well done. Um... Like, what do you want me to say? Like, <laughs> like well, it didn't make much difference, just, did it? You know what? There's just like someone in the desk at Formula E went, Bob, you know what would be crazy? What if we give him three attack modes? <laughs> no way. Three attack? Are you sure? We've had two all season. You know what? I fancy it. I fancy it. Right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Three. Right. We'll go for free attack modes, please. Like, like, like what? Like, <laughs> why? Does it make it more juicy? Like, it wasn't really like a race. It was still Vern's championship to lose. It was just there as a gimmick, really, to make the championship a bit more juicy. Oh, look, you can use a bit more attack mode. Oh, yeah, great. Like, I don't know if it was worth it. They might as well have just kept with two with four. But that was what we were promised. We were promised at the start of the season to have variation. And we vary it at the last race to quote unquote spice up the championship. Like, like, well, was it necessary? I don't think so. Well, the teams had a lot of problems with it, actually. Uh, I mean, it was maybe not problems, it was but like a bit of a headache going into the race. That's right, because we had 33 or 34 degrees Celsius uh, at the race start. And, of course, attack mode... Uh, yeah, you pretty much pull more energy out of your battery, and um, that, of course, uh, means more temperature in the battery and in the entire powertrain system. So teams were, in fact, struggling with their temperatures simply because of them having attack mode three times in, in New York. I found it interesting. I liked the idea. Uh, especially, as you say, because we were promised variation and um, finally got it in the final race of the season. I was expecting it, uh, to be honest. Um, it, it, it's a double-header. Uh, I, I was expecting them changing up 
attack modes in between Saturday and Sunday. I would have preferred Sunday. rather than four um, minutes. I would have liked maybe five uses of attack mode, but for two minute intervals, like. Or you, you do it for you've got it for a use of a lap, like. So, I would like it to be like that rather than the constant four minutes. Like instead, you've got attack mode, but you've got a lap to use it. Better get your move done, like. Rather than, because um, especially on the racetracks where it's like New York, Monaco, Paris, where there's no, where you don't lose anything for taking attack mode. So, therefore, I think in those races there should be more emphasis on, fine, you know, you're not going to lose any time taking attack mode, but that means you've got to get your move done quicker. Whereas the tracks like uh, Berlin, uh, Marrakesh, uh, Santiago, where you have to go round the outside, then I agree you should have more time because you lose more time and you've got to gain that time back. You're like, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a switch. So, but maybe in those races where there isn't, you know, that much of a disadvantage going into attack mode, then, you know, maybe we could shorten the length but give more attack mode uses. So it maybe equates to the same amount yeah, it's gonna be of two minutes, two activations of four minutes, mm. but we've just used it differently. Yeah, I mean, I suppose they're using it as a bit of a test for next season, aren't they? But well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really think it made a fat a lot of difference, to be honest with you. But I like your idea, Jack. I they do, listen to us. They I'm listen sorry. to us. We have from the rules. Wait, yeah, they listen. Okay, <laughs> they changed attack mode for next year. They've given us more power. They're not going to activate it under the safety cost. So someone's listening somewhere. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, you you two don't have to comment on this, but I always have to. Fan boost. <laughs> made a difference this weekend people made overtakes with fan boost which i swear is the first time that has happened all season long and van dorn wasn't the highest percentage it, in the sunday race wasn't he yeah i mean <gasps> yeah yeah i think it was degrassi i mean because he was in the championship fight but he didn't actually maybe, get the most maybe. percentage mm. i know so the bots maybe, were asleep the bots were asleep. <laughs> okay <laughs> i love it they um, didn't have time. Well, the problem we is about the race is that then, they didn't but... have time to buy more bots, and the bots didn't have time to make <laughs> it not look real, you know, like it's broken. To put the votes in in time for a day, maybe that was the reason. Um, only got half the amount in. Now, but I'm probably sure Van Dorn does have a lot of fans. Like I think even if there was no such bots yeah. involved, <laughs> he'd probably still get it. But yeah, I've lost my train of thought. Imagine but next season to be fair, give fans the credit. It did do. Oh. It did it did do what it says on the tin like it, it, there was some overtakes and drivers did use it um well in new york so that was good but i'm not, I'm not going to criticize fan boost because fan boost has its merits but i don't know has the series outgrown fan boost is fan boost being monitored properly there's when you do things like this there's so many question marks around its legality and how it's being used and and unless you can confirm how it's been used and you know, we can see how many people, like, the, how many votes each person has. Like, that would be good for me. Like, if they actually, because that would be really good for fans. Like, I know it's a real hard thing to do, but let's say, like, Van Dorn's got 49,000 votes, right? And he's seventh, right? And he's not getting fan boost. And Lucas Degrassi's the one last person in fan, but he's got 51,000 votes. Then at least the people know, okay... You can see how many votes you need to get to get that person up there and actually make a difference Because when you hide the numbers but, Then yeah. you know you get that feeling that you wake up one morning Van Dorn's 
seven, and then you wake up. Well, you go to bed, he's seventh, and you wake up in the morning, and he's first. And you're like, oh, how did he jump 10%? Like, what was 10% of the vote? How many votes was that? And he just raises so many questions. But wouldn't that be bullying the Neos <laughs> and the Dragons <laughs> and the oh. HWAs? <laughs> because I doubt that, as, as, as much as I like Tom Dillman... I don't think he gets much of the vote. And he can see that he's got ne poids, and he can decide, actually, and he goes <laughs> on social media and say, hey guys, vote for me. But, um, <laughs> you know, do some, you know, do a bit of Lando Norris, you know, start Twitch streaming, you know. Do, you know, do something, because there, there's things that drivers mm. do. Like Daniel App does, and Lucas Degrassi do their post-race you know, analysis thing, and they take the drivers. Tom Dillman, not dissing Tom Dillman here, but you've brought him up. But like those drivers that don't, and Tom Dillman's not the only one. But those Sorry, drivers that don't do any of that, okay, and haven't made it as far up the motorsport ranks as the likes of Stoffel Van Dorn, where you know you can you can easily get tons of votes because he was an ex Formula One driver. Have you heard about the Agak votes uh, he gave to Reuters a couple of days ago? No. Uh, he said he said that um, he said that uh, Formula E might change up the fan boost and might stop using attack mode after all. And um, the quote was that they are now focusing more and more on attack mode, uh, which makes sense, obviously, and that not only FE is focusing more and more on, on attack mode, but also yeah, the fans are. And, and, um, and I think for the teams the as well. The possibility is for the near future. Battery temperature. Maybe, so if you have to maybe not season six, but possibly... As we were talking about earlier, and you're, you're using fan boost, you still have to you know, speed up the motor somehow. So they maybe the teams don't want it yep. so many times. Fan boost also increases battery temperature. Yep. Um, but, but generally the idea for maybe season 7 or season 8, maybe starting with generation 3 in, uh, I think that would be season 8, or I think, or 9. Um, maybe then will be the time FE uh, considers stopping uh, with a fan boost thing and just continues on with Dan, attack mode. I blame you. So the plan I is there. You. Sorry. We probably spent like 8 minutes you, you can blame discussing me. fan boost, right? <laughs> And you know, well, it's because we, I've we not been here a couple of weeks. Sure I've got my I've had my fan boost talk. Three hours long, and now we're we, you know we're, 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 we're nearly there. <laughs> well, I I didn't know you guys had so much well, to say on fan boost. Usually, you just shoot me yeah, down and we move on. Yeah, because we shoot you down because we know going to happen. <laughs> right, let let's move on to the race then. Let, let's move on to the race um, again. We're a bit lucky that it wasn't as hectic. I mean. It was pretty similar to race one in that all the focus was on Evans, Degrassi, Verne, how they can get through the field. Um, the race itself, again, it was just those guys overtaking. Freintz did a really good job at the front. He was super quick picking up his second victory of the season. I didn't think that coming into the season he'd be beating Sam Bird as comfortably as he ended up doing. But that was really good for him. And yeah, he's pretty much... You have more insider information yeah, than me, Jack, on this. But I'd be surprised... Yeah. Well, I'd be surprised if he wasn't there next season. Um, any of you two got any major points from race two? We had, obviously, right at the end of the race, Evans, who was going to end up third in the championship, contact with Degrassi. I think that's probably the biggest... I suppose, highlight of the race. Um, but apart from that, 
pretty straightforward from Jean-Rick Verne. I don't know which one of you wants oh, to first start first. I'll do Fryns and then I'll let Tobias do Verne. Um, so Fryns did That's an amazing race. Um, came up from third to, to first and did some cracking overtaking moves. Like They were really... Sold the dummy. I think it was on Buemi. Um, to get into second. And then to pass Alexander Sims to just literally dive it down the inside was and at turn one and just hang Sims out to dry and then go and race away and he literally dominated he was he checked out as the phrase goes and, and he did a, f- a phenomenal job you know it was interesting I had a I had a transcript from him after the race where he just summed up his season and um, he wasn't despite doing quite well picking up two wins um, he wasn't best pleased with his season and he used much more colourful language um, in that interview than uh, I could use or say, which I thought was interesting. Uh, despite <laughs> you know picking up two wins, he still wasn't satisfied. He was he still wasn't happy that things hadn't gone his way. You know that run of poor like DNFs and non-scores after he won his first race in Paris. Uh, so I like that from Frines. I like that eagerness, that hungerness, that despite winning two races, winning his first two races in the series. It still wasn't good enough. Like the mentality, um, he should keep that for for next year. Um, just quickly, I know we're doing a, a season review podcast in, in a couple of days' time as well, or weeks' time. But uh, Freund's season, Robin's season, was amazing. Coming back from a year abroad, basically, uh, not doing any any of the FE stuff in season four, and then bouncing back and heading into his second race back, Morocco, and almost winning the thing, uh, being second there, then winning in Paris, uh, that was a chaotic race, and then winning again in New York. Um, Very impressed by by his... not his debut season, but his first year back in Formula E. Really impressed by him, by the job he did there. Shall I continue on with, say, with John Eric Verne? Yeah, sure. Virgin won, what, we've had oh, six yeah. races now in New York. They've won half of the races. Two for mm-hmm. Sandbird, season three. Yeah, Fries three out of six. Today, six races, three wins. So Virgin seems to go really well in New York. They seem to, whatever it is about that track, they seem to really like it. Good stat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, now, now continuing on with with Jeff, he didn't have the best of weekends. Just generally speaking, he didn't have the best of weekends. Um, to be fair, it was less than not the best of weekends. He had a terrible two days in New York. Nul point, nul point for him as well. Uh, the entirety of the weekend. I love um, the Eurovision reference, but yeah. I did it earlier, so <laughs> it just made me laugh. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> I know that you did it earlier. Um, he started the race from twelfth, I think, or eleventh. Yeah. I think it was twelfth, and um, didn't have the most spectacular of days, to be honest. Um, he was very quiet all these forty-five minutes. And uh, took it very, not slowly, but carefully. And um, kept out of the majority of the trouble. 
and then was running ninth, I think, um, when he crossed. Oh, no, he, when when he crossed the timing line going into sector three, um, until the Evans and Degrassi incident happened, and uh, he ended up finishing the race in P seven. So even taking that into the equation, P seven isn't the result he could have hoped for. I think. Um, I, d I just said he had had zero points all weekend. That's of course totally wrong. Just, he just uh, won six yeah, points on, on on the Sunday. Yeah, six six points uh, on on uh, <laughs> on on the Sunday, but still not not the result he was he was looking for. Um, but it was enough. And um, finishing seventh meant no one had a chance to beat him anymore. Degrassi should have been second and would have been second. Um, Oh no, he he wouldn't have been second had it not been for the incident. Um, Buemi ended up uh, in the second place after after all his after after all that happened this season, he ended up second in the drivers' championship. He was thirteenth after Paris and had an amazing back end of the season and uh, ended up in second. Third, Lucas Degrassi. Fourth, Robin Fryens. Fifth, Mitch Evans. All of them were in contention going into this weekend. Another amazing thing about Formula E, we have to say. Um, just a spectacular uh, setup for the finale. Um, with three drivers still then having the possibility to win on, on Sunday. But it was John Ragvern taking 7th in the race and 1st in a championship. Defending his driver's title and crowning himself uh, for the first time in FE's history. Uh, as the first double champion of the series. Shall we clap and congratulate <laughs> Jeff? He did what he needed to do. He simply did what he needed to yeah. do. Come on. Uh, right, Let, well let's done, all clap. Jeff. Please, don't leave me hanging. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But <laughs> he just did what he needed to do. And full credit to him. I know you said he, he had a calm race, but I think after Saturday, that's what he needed to do. He didn't need to win the race. He didn't need to finish on the podium. Probably didn't even need to finish seventh. He just needed to cross the line in the points. And that's exactly what he did. And I think, you know, knowing that Degrassi was, like, not that high up, you know, gave him even more reason just make sure I bring home these points because this is enough. And I'm sure that's what the team was telling him over, over the radio and... He did what he did, and he fully deserved the championship. Uh, he's just stunning. Uh, he's just been brilliant, fully deserved, and I think former E-drivers now have a real problem because we've got some top drivers in there. And i still going in. If Czech Cheetah have a car, i still put him as my favourite. If I was to go to a, a betting shop now and put money on who's going to be the Season 6 champion, I'd put my money on Vern. Big statement there, big statement. Um, I mean, hmm. he's he's the man in form, isn't he? So I suppose, yeah, he's going to be up there, isn't he? Um, I'm, I want to be careful here because I know next podcast or the next couple we're going to be talking about all the drivers. So I don't want to, you know, do too much overlapping. But I, I yeah, I agree with both of you so much that Vern definitely deserved it. Three victories at the start of the season. Didn't get off to, well, the best start at all after that penalty in the first race. And then went on a bit of a drought. But especially in the second half, he's been he's been pretty awesome. And I'm definitely looking forward to next season where we've got two more races on the calendar. Yeah, I, I did think. you missed that episode? I could be wrong there. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, so 
that's going to be interesting and starts a little bit earlier as well I think at the beginning of November so that's even better 22nd and 23rd of November okay well still November awesome stuff so yeah but before we go we do want to talk about season six a little bit because this morning, I mean, we actually lucked out today, boys. Usually we get news the day after the podcast, <laughs> but today it was in the morning. So that's brilliant. Andre Lotterer, who a little bit like Vern, had a pretty awful weekend. I mean, Tachita did finally get that team's championship, which again for them probably deserved it last season. So they finally picked it up this season. So yeah, awesome job by them. Had the best car. So yeah, you can't really fault it. But Lotterer... Leaving the team for next season, going to Porsche with, <gasps> I know, stunning, shocking, with, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to learn how to say this in the off-season, but Neil Yanni. Or Yanni. I think. Yanni. Not too bad, yeah. Yeah. Neil, the Swiss say Neil Yanni. Yeah. It's just, what, what do we think about this? Um, I'm a little bit in the Go middle. On, tell us your views. Tachita. Well, yeah, I mean, Tach, yeah, Tachita race-winning car. It seems, like you said a minute ago, Jack, they're, they're going to be winning next season. They're going to be one of the teams to beat. Lotterer, I can see why he's doing this. He's going to be that number one driver. The team are going to look at him, well, to build the car around him because he's got this, this experience. And I think he's going to be in it for the long term because they're definitely not going to be winning races next season. And I know some of you guys want to talk about that in a, in a moment. We spoke before the podcast. I do question it, though, from Porsche's side. I know he's involved in different series with Porsche. But Lotterer, in his first season, a little bit aggressive. In his second season, OK, he's been consistent. But to see him as the first driver and Neil Yanni as the second driver, I'm, I'm not too sure about that lineup. But then I suppose HWA in their first season took two rookies. So... I'm cool with it. I'm really intrigued about the free seat and I can't wait to talk about that in a moment because I think there's so many awesome candidates that could fill it. But I'm fine with it and I think for Lotterer, he just needs that fresh start a little bit because he has been beaten by Vern twice now and he probably sees himself, and fairly enough so, as a top driver. So, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to me, but I don't know who wants to go next. Tobias? Hmm, I can go ahead, yeah. Um, it's a very interesting story, and it's a story that's only been developing in between Bern and New York. Um, I didn't speak, I, I wasn't part of the conversation, sadly, uh, but I've heard from my German colleagues who were speaking to him, and he was asking them all off the record. Um, nothing has been signed yet, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do, because, and he put the question to them, where are you going to go? Are you either sticking with the team you have experience in and you know you're going to be successful in and you might win a race in next next year or are you going to the big German name and the one he has been working for it's only been a year, he's of course been an Audi driver before um, also a very interesting story um, related, related to that um, I'll, I'll pick up on that in a couple of minutes but um, yeah, he he posed the question to these colleagues of mine, and asked them, "What what would you do if you were in my position? Do you either go for the big German constructor and manufacturer, or do you stay with your current team where you don't really see the possibility to uh, become the first driver or develop yourself? You might win a couple of races, but." Does he have more of a future, maybe, at Porsche? That's the question he asked them. 
and at some point in between Bern and New York, the contract was signed. Um, I think it's it's a bold decision, but it might be one uh, turning out nicely for his career. Um, we shouldn't forget that he's 37 already. <laughs> I mean, 37. What, what's that? We'll uh, but um, in terms of of elite, elite. <laughs> yeah, we'll be there soon. You're right. Uh, but in terms of elite sportsmen and especially racing drivers. 37 is very old and you are nearing your retirement if you're 37 and so possibly Andre Lotra is looking for a place to not to end his career immediately after next season but it Porsche might be the place where he ends his racing career and then possibly carries on as an ambassador for Porsche or as a development driver for Porsche similar to what Nick Heidfeld's been doing this year with Mahindra. He he still is their third driver, uh, in a way. Um, yeah, and that might be an option for Andre Lotra. Um, he still has many years in him and many seasons in him and hopefully many wins and victories and championships in him. But he c also has to consider the end of his career. And he sees the end of his career possibly being with Porsche. Now, the one thing I wanted to touch on is uh, the Audi story, or my, my Audi theory. I don't have it confirmed as of yet, um, but I'm currently looking into that. Maybe someone from Porsche is listening to this and m might be up for answering me this, but uh, Daniel Abt had to wait a long, 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 long time uh, until his uh, contract negotiations were finished, and he had he did get cold feet and uh, was already wondering what was happening about his contract for next year and my theory is that Daniel Abt only was signed after Andre Lotra confirmed to Audi that he was joining Porsche because as as far as i know from what i understand Audi was in contact with Lotra as well and they weren't that i mean pursuing him he was an option on their radar let's put it this way uh, Andre Lotra was the name of Lotra was on the table and my theory is that Audi might have been waiting for or might have been been they might have been been trying to see how negotiations go with Lotra and then they found out he signed with with Porsche and then they turned to Daniel Abt and re-signed him for for the season that's my theory. If anyone from Audi or Porsche is listening, please let me know. I would love to know more about that story because it's very intriguing indeed. Um, but yeah, uh, my take on, on Lutra just quickly, um, because I've been talking for a couple of minutes already. Um, I think it's a fair decision and um, I would have done, you know, thinking about it, I might have done the same. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. After contemplating um, and everything you've said and thinking about it logically, I probably now would have done the same. Before you started speaking, I would have been, how am I, why am I leaving this team? Why am I leaving <laughs> this team, Because it's a front-running team. I could probably win next season. I could probably win, I'm more likely to win a championship next season. And you're right with the age thing, like you're 37, like... You know, we're, we're really saying that Porsche at the moment, like, is not going to be able... They might be able to fight for a win, but maybe not a championship. Uh, you know, I don't think any of us are really convinced. Like, Mercedes, I reckon, could, you know, 
jump Porsche quite quickly because they've got that year experience. You know, Porsche tried to do the same with Dragon. It lasted one race. Neil Yarny did one race in season four with at Hong Kong. Or the, that double header. Yep. And that went he, terrible, he, he, didn't he it? Dropped out after that race, <laughs> and that sort of link between Dragon and Porsche. If if Porsche had been working with Dragon for two seasons before coming in, then I would have had a completely different outlook on. And you know, Dragon haven't done, and I don't think Porsche really have been helping Dragon at all because I, you know, Dragon's performances haven't been great. So, whereas at least HWA for Mercedes have improved from race one to race thirteen, and quite dramatically so. So I think Mercedes will be coming in with a really good, with a really good base uh, for season six. Which, so therefore, when I was thinking about Lotter, and I'm like, well, that's true. If I go, if I stay for one season, it uh, and it doesn't work out, then, you know, I'm probably gonna staff Porsche would have had their drivers, they'd be happy. So it's probably an opportunity to spend two seasons, maybe three with Porsche, and then move into that driver ambassador role towards like what Nick Heifel's doing. So I think it makes sense and I think possibly the right decision for him because he's probably going to get more racing time potentially at Porsche than he would at Czech Tita. If, if I was Andre, I would hope for a situation similar to what which Evans did with Jaguar. They joined in Season 3 and developed their team and it was going okay um, but not too good. I mean, Evans was fourth in, in Mexico in Season 3, but apart from that, Jaguar, yeah, they finished last in the championship. Uh, just a couple of points behind Vinciari and Dragon and Amlen and Andretti and Neo, who unbelievably were sixth that year. Um, but, but Jaguar was... Yeah, they were there um, and weren't too bad. And I don't feel like last in the team's championship was that deserved. But the first year wasn't too great. Then they they improved for for season four, and now look at them in season five. They're winning races and are in contention for victories, uh, not on one occasion but on multiple occasions. And that might be the hope for for Andre Lotra, building up the Porsche team in season six. And then improving in season seven, maybe being able to contest for for wins in that year, and uh, then being one of the front runners, hopefully, possibly, because you have to keep in mind Porsche has a lot more resources than I mean I'm not sure about it, but I assume Porsche has a lot more resources than Jaguar have, um, than possibly being in contention for for more wins and possibly the championship in season seven. But that's a long way off now. Um, for the time being, Lotra joining Porsche for season six. Um, let's see how things develop. It's it's unclear at this point. But I think what will be interesting, and I, just for time, because I don't want to drag on for too long. It's who's going to take that seat? Who now? There's a yeah. there's a real Briggs winning seat there, and I think you know I'm going to throw some names out. I think Pascal Vert. Well, should we all do I a couple Pas- of names I think and then Pascal leave Verlein, it there? If I was Pascal Verlein, I'd be jumping at it. Because sadly, I think with Porsche and Mercedes coming in, I feel like Mahindra, sadly, the amazing team that they are, are going to start becoming a real solid midfield team. I don't know if they have the resources that will, will start be able to fight with these German manufacturers that are coming in, and possibly Jaguar as well. Um, so yeah. if I'm Pascal, I, I, I see a route out of midfield driving 
into there. You know, I don't think Oliver Rowland. Like, I was looking at this and thinking, well, if I'm picking Pascal, because Pascal's done great, but so has Oliver Rowland. But then both of them have been a bit inconsistent at times. Maybe some towards the car. Maybe Oliver Rowland, yes, he's done a fantastic job, but, you know, could, there, could he have he's faded away a little bit, maybe, in the last couple of races? Does that make me want to pick Verline a bit more? I don't think Sam Bird or Robin Frines will go for it. I think they're locked down at Envision. I don't think Degrassi's going to go. I don't think he. I think he's pretty much now that Audi. So it's pointless even talking about him. Um, and then I see either that or they go for someone completely outside of Formula E and take a rookie. But if if I I feel like if I'm Pascal Verline right now, I'm on the phone to Mark Preston. I would have done it as soon as the news was announced. I would have tried my best to find his number. According to, to Cheetah, they are talking to, and I'm quoting their, I'm, I'm not quoting, but I remember their, their press release saying they're talking to multiple high-level drivers. Well, they would. And, um, and they're not going to say yeah. we're talking to multiple of course, drivers yeah. who are unproven. <laughs> We're speaking of course, to many yeah. drivers who are in the um, cars right now. <laughs> it's just like a basic statement. I'm like, duh. Like, yeah, of course. We'll see what happens. Of course, yeah. I feel like Formula E experience has now becoming crucial. I think that was another reason apparently the team Porsche cited Lotterer wanting Lotterer so much. Because obviously Brendan Hartley, you have to remember, we can't forget, Brendan Hartley was, you know, tested that Porsche car. And... You know, it was oh, yeah. looking likely at some point that Brendan Hartley was going to be in the car. But, apparently, according to information from the Porsche press release, was that, you know, that experience of having that experience in the car was probably the reason they took Lotterer over Hartley. So, as I think that might be also important to bear in mind as well. I don't think Lotterer... They might have come to Lotterer after they ruled out Hartley. Or after they said, that this is the direction we want to go in. And they sort of ruled out Hartley and went to Laura and if Laura said yes then Laura if Laura said no I want to stay with the extra teacher then maybe Porsche would have signed Hartley yeah. word on the street is that Antonio Felix da Costa might have a shot at the DS seat next again, year what again, do you think about that BMW link He's a BMW factory driver. I know, with, as we mentioned earlier, with uh, before we started with BMW sort of pulling out of WEC. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think it was just the tone of 24 hours that the Costa participated in. But he doesn't. He doesn't do IMSA. I know, he don't, I know he doesn't do IMSA. But I think he has participated in some special races in in, in IMSA. He might have done Sebring 1000, the the 1000 kilometer race as well. Um, so I think he, I think he is in some special races in IMSA for BMW. So I, I, I feel like he's more of a BMW factory driver, and that wouldn't, and BMW are in a good position to fight as well. They are. I mean, he's he's won races for them this year, hasn't he? Um, he did the uh, Le Mans Twenty Four Hours race uh, this year and last year as well, and um, was racing in Blancpain GT. Um, yes, for he BMW definitely, definitely in 2017. I'm pretty sure because I watched the toner and I'm pretty sure I saw the Costa's name with BMW. 
I think it did. You know, as I said, so even in the imps, they're not going to call on a, you know, they're calling on a factory driver. I'm just scrolling down good old trusty Wikipedia. Um, so World Endurance, 24 Hours of Le Mans. It's, unless I've gone past it, it's not on there. So maybe I've read someone different name or it's not on Wikipedia. I know it's not the best, but it's just something quick. But I'm pretty sure I've seen his name somewhere in one of those big races in America yeah he's he's out and about in the racing world um, as many drivers are uh, but the rumor in the paddock this weekend was that Diaz de Cheetah are talking to Antonio Felix da Costa and that uh, Antonio's manager uh, Tiago Montero um, WTCR driver or WTCC is he racing? I'm He's still sure. racing. I, I haven't kept up with the World Touring Car Championship, but last I watched it. Okay, so there. so formerly double. Of, uh, I know he was a WTCC driver, but not sure if he's a WTCR driver anymore. But the Portuguese guy, uh, he's managing. <laughs> that guy. Um, he was in Formula One. He's managing. That guy, he's that Portuguese guy. You remember him? <laughs> was he? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's the manager for for Antonio Felix da Costa, and he was talking. Apparently was talking to. I wasn't in New York, sadly, but he apparently was talking to um, managers from to Cheetah. Um, I thought it was a very vague rumor for most of today, um, until uh, our colleagues at E Racing Three Six Five reported about it. And usually they are reasonably so sophisticated in, in their research and um, well connected. Um, don't want to. to I mean. <sighs> they've been wrong before, but they are right a lot of the times as well. Uh, um, that's what I'm saying, probably. Um, yeah, I, I, I understood it to be a very vague rumour over the weekend, but today E-Rating365 did the story about Da Costa being linked to, to the Diaz to Cheetah drive. A name also up in the air was James Rossiter. Uh, he, of course, is the reserve driver for the team. Um... I've heard about him possibly joining the Tachita team in the Jaguar IPSE trophy next year. Uh, so he might be out of it as well. Um, yeah, very interesting topic to follow. Um, and you have to keep in mind that there's then the question of who fills the Costa seat at BMW. If he really switches teams to Tachita, who on earth is going to replace Antonio yeah, Felix da Costa? True. Um, but they might go to one <sighs> of their form of DTM drivers, possibly, um, potentially. Mm. I, and to you mm. know, sound myself more sure. Apart I was from Bruno Spengler, they're not. I did race in IMSA for the Daytona 24 Hours, but it wasn't for BMW. <sighs> it wasn't for BMW. He was there. Was it not? He was in the Jackie Chan uh, Jota LMP2 car with um, <laughs> with Alex Brundle and uh, and a driver hoping Tung. Well, there's about four four drivers there, so he might have been maybe not that car, but within those cars. Um, so he was a driver for BMW, which I thought okay. he was, because BMW were there, obviously. They're part of the IMSA Championship. And they're still remaining part of the IMSA Championship, despite moving out of WEC. So they're just doing IMSA and Formula E. So he was there, but he wasn't driving for BMW, yeah, that's so that's quite interesting. Yeah. That's the thing. The, the I mean, BMW announced that they're... Uh, leaving WEC for next season. They only did a year there, uh, did they? And um, now they're retiring their M8 uh, big boys from uh, WEC. 
and are focusing on their IMSA program, on their DTM program, on their FE program and all of that. Um, and it is believed by our colleagues at E365 that this this process of BMW putting out of uh, WEC did change his contractual situation and opened the possibility for him possibly moving teams in Formula E as well. We'll have to just wait and see. Um, it's it's all rumours, I have to remind our listeners of that as well. It's all rumours that we've been talking about. Um, but there are news pieces out on the interweb um, saying that Da Costa is linked to Diaz to Cheetah. Um, the only thing we know for a fact is that Lotra is leaving to Cheetah and is moving to Porsche alongside Niljani. But apart from that, silly season's only just begun. And uh, we're going to have a lot more interesting stories coming up in the next couple of months. I'm sure of it. Oh, yeah. We're going to be talking about that so much in the off-season as well, I am sure. And I'd just like to quickly add before we finish up, I think, personally, I think if DaCosta did leave BMW, it's it's not the right time for me. They've just, him and the Andretti team, they've finally got a winning formula there. And I think if he was to leave them now, that'd be... Not snaky, but I think a shame, considering all the things they've been through. But for me, I'm looking at Formula 2. I, I think Tachita are one of those teams that can afford to take a gamble with a rookie, because like you said earlier, Jack, I think they're going to be a strong car next season. So I'm looking at guys like Nick DeVries, um, Luca Giotto, that guys that I don't think will get a chance in Formula 1, but I think have proven in Formula 2 that they're strong drivers. I'm also looking at, and again, apologies for pronunciation, but... Guanyan Zhou, I think is his name, in Formula 2 driver. this year. That's uh, actually Chinese. a really good shout. Yeah. Yeah, because obviously, Tachita Chinese, but he's also had a brilliant season. He's comfortably been the Probably best rookie, and I think he's <laughs> fifth. Yeah, he, he's really coming on really, really well, he is. So I, th- I could see him moving to the team, um, and I, <laughs> I hate to do this, but... I still see Alonso at some point going to Formula E. I'm sorry, but I just think he's got to go to Formula E at some point, and this would be a perfect chance for him. But anyway, well, that's that's probably true as well, and he's probably going to look for an not an yeah an IndyCar seat next season. Um, But shall we leave it there for this week? Yeah, I think Giotto, as you said, there was a really good shout. I would love to see Artem Markalov maybe get something. Yeah. Um, But I think Giotto is a very good shout. as a, as a rookie driver and I think Giotto needs to get out of Formula 2 he's not you know try Weck or try something else because I think he's a great driver but I think his moment's passed sadly for him can I just can I just throw in that Guan Yu Zhao or however his name is pronounced I'm, I'm sorry mate but y- you Guan Yu Zhao <laughs> I'm calling you Zhao now um, or Zhu or whatever it's alright we'll um, can I just throw in that 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 he is a, a, a Tachita driver, and he oh, has wow. a contract with Tachita. Uh, he had a contract with Tachita. They signed him up as a, I think, yeah, junior driver ago. or replacement this? driver in in Paris 2018. Yeah. That was a year and three months ago. So the situations change, of course. And in between, he he was a Ferrari junior when he signed with um, with Tachita. Obviously, Vern being a co-part owner of Tachita, he also is part of the Ferrari Academy. Um, 
Zhao or whatever his name is was ousted <laughs> by Ferrari and is, is now has now joined the Renault Academy. So that situation might have had had an impact on on his contractual situation with uh, the cheetah. But but he was he was in Paris last year and was announced as their junior driver and th- development driver and I mean that's one yeah. Some some driver who's not their their first lineup, whatever. Yeah, but he's he's been been part of the team. I'm not sure if he is, but he used to be wearing Tachita clothes. <laughs> he wasn't just a fan wearing Tachita clothes. <laughs> 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 oh, never mind. <laughs> And if someone listening is Chinese, please send us an explanation as to how to pronounce his name. Please do. And if you've got any questions for that matter, please feel free to get in touch across our social media platforms. Formula E Zone, your best place for all Formula E news and gossip. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a long one today, so if you've made it this far, please, if you're watching on YouTube or listening on YouTube, feel free to subscribe. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time for Season 6.